Praise God. So my subject tonight is halitosis. Okay, I'll teach on something else then if that's funny. I, uh, I want to start tonight with uh, an introduction to the altar. Uh, so it's been my experience over the years that uh, most folks that are working the altar really don't understand what the altar is about and what it's for. And so with that in mind, what I want to do is just lay a, a very brief foundation here, cover uh, quite a bit of, of material, probably about two hours worth of material in about 15 minutes. So uh, hopefully you can buckle up and, and uh, take it all in, all right? So the Hebrew word uh, for altar, it's actually found 396 times in Scripture. And in, in essence... What it is about, the essence of it, is a raised place where a sacrifice is made. It's, it's a, a place of elevation. It's a place of distinction. It's raised and it's, it can be seen from a distance. Uh, the altar of God is a place of change. Now, I don't really have time tonight to go into define to divine fire and fire falling from heaven, but I'm just going to leave, I'm going to briefly touch on this, is that the altar is the place of change, and you will find that the altar is the place that got, that fire falls from heaven, divine fire. In the New Testament, we find that uh, God is a consuming fire, amen, and <clears throat> The reason that uh, the bush did not burn, okay, is because it was divine. It was it was a theophany. It looked like it was the the manifestation of God, and it symbolized God. And the reason that bush did not change is because it symbolized God. In the alternative, anything that is not like God that touches fire, changes. And at the altar, the altar is a place of change. The altar is a place of distinction. It's a place that can be seen from a distance to where that when you get there, you know that you're going to be changed. And when you leave, you know that you have been changed. So if we go back to the law of first mention, you'll find that Noah first constructed an altar and sacrificed in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. God had destroyed the earth and he required Noah to sacrifice. So Noah built an altar and it was there that he reconstituted, he recommitted the earth himself, etc. to God because there had been a change Noah built one after the flood. He made burnt offerings on it. Abraham built altars to Yahweh at Shechem, between Bethel and Ai, at Hebron, and at Moriah. And Moriah is where that uh, he tried to offer Isaac, or was intending to offer Isaac, but uh, eventually he offered a ram that uh, Jehovah Jireh had provided. So Isaac did likewise. 
and so on and so on. And so what you'll find is, is that throughout Scripture is that altars were erected evidently to, com- to commemorate an event where God had touched someone. Where there had been an encounter with God. And I will tell you from my experience, the number one reason that people are not used in the altar is because they do not prescribe this area, this raised distinction, uh, as holy ground. And so what happens is, is that the preacher, whoever it is, the man of God says, well, let's all come to the front. And, and then what happens from there is, is that everybody that's supposed to be working the altar sees the level of faith and expectation, and so we meet that. You come down here slumping, and, and we it's like... We just... Because what happens is, is, is that we have devalued the altar. We've misunderstood what the altar is all about. When you got up off that that chair, that pew, that first time, and you were seeking the Holy Ghost, you came down with an expectation. You came down with need, and on top of that, you came down with faith, believing that if I got to there and God touched me, I would never be the same. I would be changed. So the first thing when it comes to altar working beyond bad breath that we need to understand is that this is a sacred place. This is a divine this is a place of divine transaction. Eternal things are done down in this area. And if we devalue it, if we devalue it, what does the sinner, what does those that are not among us that are not of the faith, how do they value it? Amen. So for us to begin to understand altar working, for us to begin to understand ministry in the altar, we've got to understand that there is an eternal transaction that occurs at every altar. Now I keep talking, I keep referencing this area up here, but an altar can be anywhere. An altar can be at your house, an altar can be in front of your steering wheel. An altar can be at your work. An altar can be at your job, at your school, at your college, at your university, at your deck, at your desk. Anywhere where there is divine interaction, where there is an encounter with God and something is changed, you can build, you can be assured that God looks at that as an altar. So that's the first thing, is that we've got to, we must understand that the purpose of the altar is divine encounter. And when we divinely encounter, when we encounter the divine, we are the ones that are changed. God doesn't change. God can't change. But when there's an interaction, there's a change that comes about. The purpose of the altar is God is a revealer of himself. So he reveals his image and his character, and thereby doing so, he reveals our flaws. 
Revelation, for the most part, most scientific knowledge is gathered by contrast of comparison. You have a standard, and when you compare against that standard, you can realize whether that is a pound or an inch or a minute or a second. That's what comparison actually does for us. So the way that change comes about, the scripture says in, uh, that uh, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So when we come into the altar, when we come to the place that we are encountering God, what happens is, is God reveals His goodness. He shows us His goodness. And by that revelation, it causes us to see us for who we are. And then faith allows us to make a decision that we are going to let God change us. So when God reveals His character, when He reveals His image to us, it shows us how good He is, how perfect He is, how divine He is, and thereby it reveals to us how imperfect I am and how undivine I am and how nasty I am and how ugly I am and how cruel I can be. See, when, when you get into the presence of God, what's occurring is there's a revelation because you see yourself as compared to God and the Word of God. We consider that to be conviction. Because we are convicted that we're not measuring up to what God, God has empowered us through His grace to be in His image. And when we're not in His image, we have a decision to make. Of whether we're going to stay nasty and bad breath and bad body, bad words, bad deeds, worried about ourselves or worried about eternity, that is the decision that occurs at the altar, whether it's for you or the person that is first-time guest visiting. That's the purpose of the altar, where revelation, you come into an encounter with God, and through that encounter, there is divine inspiration by an understanding that we are not like God. Now, doesn't that really convict you? Remember the last time that the man of God said, well, let's all come down to the front. And you're just like, oh, man. My show's on. That probably doesn't happen, does it? Got a roast in the oven. You know, it's tough to have a move of God around like 11.30, 11.35, right? Because the restaurants are filling up. We've become so comfortable. Listen to me. We've become so comfortable with the, with the interaction and the encounter of God that we've devalued that encounter. And therefore, we have, we have removed the power of, of change, 
of an interaction with God because we have removed our faith. Old Testament altars, they foreshadow the New Testament sacrifice of Christ. Christ provides the example or image we are to follow. So we see that we have become the sacrifice. When we come to the altar, Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, by, uh, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourself a living sacrifice. When we become the sacrifice, we lay ourselves, our lives, our motives, our wants, our needs on the altar and divine fire falls down and consumes everything that is not like him, everything that is not like his will, everything that is not like his church, everything that is not like his image, everything that is not like his character that is inside of you, God God removes that because he consumes it. All you chemistry experts out there, you, you realize and understand that fire, the, the, difference, the difference between rust and fire is only a small thing. It's the same chemical reaction. I told you I don't have, I don't have time. I got to hurry. I don't have time to, to go into this right now. But the difference, the difference between you rusting and fire having something inside of you, change, fire being there, is that rust happens so slowly that you can give off the heat that the chemical reaction, the oxidation, is occurring. It happens to the extent that you can give off the heat to the atmosphere and you just rust. But fire occurs when that oxidation process happens so quickly that you can't give off the heat and you get to an ignition temperature. So the difference between you rusting in God and God creating a fire that changes you is a very small difference. Very small difference. And it's found in your surroundings. It's found in how you interact with your surroundings. Amen. So that's the purpose of the altar, is that there is a change that occurs. And the, and the ultimate purpose of the altar is that faith would be birthed. Right? Here's a statement for you to know. God does not respond to need. There, are, there is a lot of need. You know, I've got a lot of need in my life. But God does not respond to my need. God only responds to faith. And the altar is about building faith. It, it changes us. That interaction with God changes us and therefore sparks our faith. Faith is a process. The appearance of faith is never a singular event. And so your faith level, okay, the level that you have of faith is the sum total of many interactions and encounters that you've had with God. 
It is, it is the sum of all the times that you've had a need in your life. And you got up in faith and moved to a place of distinction, moved to a raised altar, and poured yourself out before God, and God touched you and changed you. All of the times that that has happened in your life has led to the level of faith that you have in your life right now. So here's the secret. If you don't have a lot of change going on in your life, you won't have a lot of faith going on in your life. If you don't have a lot of drama going on in your life, that you can trust God with the details of that, you won't have a lot of faith going on. You don't have a lot of offense in your life that you've got to deal with. You won't have a lot of faith going on in your life. If you don't have a lot of heresy going on in the church, the level of the faith of the church can be low. Because God uses heresy to purge the church and he uses offense to purge the saint. So we get all, you know, we get all bent out of shape. Can you believe somebody said something about that? That's just a faith. That's just a place for you to build faith. We look at it as, as some eternal, cosmic, people are just stupid. No, really, they are. What, what we need to do is realize that and understand and move in faith and understand that God is just giving the opportunity for you to begin to exercise your faith and build your faith level. Now, God has given us some promises at Antioch. And because of those promises, there's one thing that's evident. We're going to pray a lot of people through to the Holy Ghost, right? So I'm, I'm going to talk very quickly about praying someone through to the, to the Holy Ghost and about working, working the altar. That's our terminology, right? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 6 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which were seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The definition of faith is verse 6. And that is, is faith, you've got to believe that he, that he is. 
And you've got to believe that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And if you don't have those two components, you don't have faith. You've got an acknowledging of God, but you don't have faith. You must believe that it is, that it, that He is, that He exists. And you've got to believe that if I diligently seek Him, that if I come to the altar and I lay my life on that altar, you've got to believe that He will answer your prayer. Amen. God always answers prayer. He answers it with a no sometimes. He answers it with a non-response sometimes. Oh, I can't hear, I can't hear, I can't hear anything from God. No, you're hearing. It's just silence. God is always answering. He, he's always revealing. So at the altar, God reveals himself to the unbeliever. And at the altar, God reveals more of himself to the weak in faith. It's at the altar that you are changed. It's at the altar that the sinner is changed. That altar can be here, it can be in the pews, it can be anywhere, but the altar is always about building faith to be changed. So here is the, the simplicity of the matter. God responds to faith, not need, and gifted altar workers identify personal need and build seeker faith to a level where God responds. Did you, did you get that? Here's what happens at the altar. If you truly are gifted, you work to identify, to help that person identify their personal need. And then you build that person's faith, the one that is seeking. You build their faith to a place where God responds. That's how simple that the altar is. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 6, the scripture says, Now brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? I'm going to read a little bit farther. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, none of them is without significant, uh, signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so, ye for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying or the building up of the church. What, what Paul is saying here is, is that be careful when someone that is not of the household of faith, okay, they come, they come seeking, and, and they need the Holy Ghost. They need their first encounter or interaction with God. And they get up, and they come down here, and what Paul is saying is, come here, Cheddar, let me borrow you. 
is that the guy comes down here and he's all jacked up to get the Holy Ghost right and he doesn't know anything about anything. His eyes are, you know, that big. What Paul is saying is the last thing you probably want to do is start, you know, start talking in tongues, kill a mosquito, crank up my Kawasaki, because this guy is going to go, what in the world is going on right here? Because to him, you're a barbarian. You're, you are hurting more than you're helping because you are, you are causing him to think in his flesh, because he has no level of faith. He has no interaction, continuous, continuous, summed interactions with God. This is his first experience. What's he going to think? You're crazy. Thank you. He's going to think that you're, I'm crazy. You're crazy. We're all crazy. I'm never, if I could, if I can get out of this place, I will never come back. Now, I said that because I'm a degree chemical engineer, and I just, I mean, everything should work out in balance. And when I walked into a Pentecostal church, none of it balanced. It was just, Lord have mercy. But what happened was, was that someone was kind enough to help me build my faith by explaining as I went along. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 6, what you'll find is, is you'll find the profiting voices. Except I shall speak to you by revelation, knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. So revelation is how God reveals. It's, it is the revealing of the hidden. And when someone comes to the altar, it is more than acceptable to speak to them, to begin to build their faith through revelation. If you've got a word, hey, give them a word. If God gives you a vision about what's going on in their life, tell them what that vision is. I saw you X, Y, Z. You know, that's probably going to say, whoa, I believe God is in this place. If you're on, now make sure you're on. Because if you come doing all that stuff and you ain't on, Somebody's probably going to say, this is really crazy. So revelation is one of the profiting voices where you can work in the altar. The other one is knowledge. Now, here's a real simple concept, right? Somebody comes down to the altar. Let me, let me tell you something really spiritual. After, don't let your breath be stanky. It's okay to ask someone, what is it that you what can I pray with you? It's okay, but one of the first things I normally do is I introduce myself. Hey, my name is. What can I pray with you about? If you don't have revelation, please, please, for goodness sake, for soul's sake, ask. And the polite way to do that is introduce yourself and ask them, what can I pray with you about? Most people are going to appreciate that. I promise you they're going to appreciate that a lot more than if they're up here wide-eyed like this and you just come and slap hands on them and start talking in tongues. That is probably not going to be helpful at all for you or them. It's not going to profit 
them. It's not going to increase their faith. And then this third one here is knowledge. And I'm going to move quickly here because I know that I am out of time already. So knowledge is information and it's transmitted by human interaction. So revelation is, div- is divine information or information that is transmitted by divine interaction. You know something that there's no way that you know that you should have known that. But knowledge is, I just, I know somebody's going through it, right? They told, maybe they're in care group, maybe they confided in me, whatever it is, but it's okay to move and work and build someone's faith out of knowledge. That's perfectly acceptable. So when I say, is there something that I can pray with you for, and you tell me, yeah, my life's busted up, it's in a million pieces, whatever, hey, let's pray about that. God, and, and what you start doing is, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So in the altar, how you build faith is you begin to relate what God has done for you to them. My life's busted up. Well, let me tell you about what God did for me. And I'm no better than you. God, The Word of God says He's no respecter of persons. He did X, Y, Z for me. He turned it all around. I thought that there was no way that that was going to come together. But you know what? Out of nowhere, God just, boom, right there. And I believe God can do that for you right now. Would you believe with me that God can put your life back together? You feel the faith in that? You feel the spirit and the flow of faith? That's knowledge. So in knowledge, there is also this perception. Okay? And by that, you, by perception, what I mean is, is that the scripture says in Hebrews uh, chapter 4 that we have our senses exercise to where that we can discern the difference between good and evil. Okay? And I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you in for years of me watching people. Okay? Man is three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 It is impossible for humanity to be able to separate their soul and their spirit. Their spirit will always be a mirror of their soul. And what happens is, is that that always is reflected in their flesh. So perception is not observing human behavior, but perception is viewing a person's inner man through the prism of their outward man. Let me give you an example. The scripture says, I believe, therefore I've spoken, I was greatly afflicted. So if you come across somebody and they're not praying out loud, what you know is they've got a faith issue. If someone can't pray out loud, they have a faith issue. And so what you've got, you perceive that, you understand that, so you begin to talk to them about what God has done for you. When there was an impossible situation and I felt like I couldn't approach God, I couldn't even pray. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to pray. So what I did was I just closed my eyes and got into my prayer closet. And I began to talk to God just like he was my very best friend. 
That's faith. But because you don't have to ask a bunch of questions, you can just tell, hey, they don't have faith because they're not praying out loud. Here's another one. Psalms chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Lord, how are they increased that troubled me? Many are they that rise up against me. There, many there be which save my soul. There is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of mine head. So when you see someone and they're at the altar and, they're, and their outward man is reflecting their inner spirit and they just they can't even lift their head, what is going on is that they are, they are being afflicted. They have a lack of hope and a lack that there is any help. When someone cannot lift their hands, they have a lack of surrender. They have a lack of sacrifice. All of these are perceptions that you can tell and that God uses in His Word. Slumped shoulders are a heavy burden. Cut hair is rebellion. You, you find someone that has makeup, that's shame. All of these are perceptions that you can understand what's going on in a person's life. And God uses those to where that you can build a person's faith. That's the essence of altar working is that God can use you to build a person's faith through your testimony to where that they can interact and God can change them. Not change their circumstances, change them. That is what the altar is all about. So there are three things, three reasons of why people don't receive the Holy Ghost. And they're the three U's, right? A lack of understanding, a lack of, uh, or a lack of, are unforgiveness and unbelief. And all three of those will, will work to destroy a person's faith. So when someone is ready to receive the Holy Ghost, they're coming forward to receive the Holy Ghost, it's very important to identify which one of those three, if they don't pray through immediately, and let's just say in the first 30 seconds, they don't receive the Holy Ghost, you need to start under, trying to understand and letting God talk to you about whether there is an issue with their understanding, whether there is an issue that they have unforgiveness in their life, or whether they just have unbelief because a series, life has been so difficult with them that they've had a series of afflictions in their life that they believe that it is so impossible that God cannot help, that God cannot change them. So the altar is the place where the unbeliever becomes aware of his or her need of God. And what we do is we help to build faith and God's answer, God supplies the answer to that need. It is just that simple. Let's lift our hands right now and thank the Lord for using us. Let's thank him in advance for using us at the altar to see his mighty works transpire. Jesus.